Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 210 of the Spoiler Alert podcast, brought to you by MovieOutsiders.com. This is Mike. I'm here with Danny, and tonight we're going to be reviewing the new standalone Star Wars film, Solo, A Star Wars Story, starring Paul Bettany. Danny, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Mike. I was going to say this is starring the voice of John Favreau. Oh, who is that? I don't. I didn't even know that. You don't know who John Favreau is? I know who know John who Favreau is. is yes. Who is the character? Uh, the pilot that works with Woody Harrelson's gangster who dies during okay. their mission. That was John Favreau's voice. Got it. And you mean John Favreau, the podcast host of Keeping It 1800, who used to work for Barack nope. Obama? No. No. Nope. The Did... writer, director, actor. Got it. That one. That one. Directed Iron Man. Understood. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, All right. It. Okay. Well, we're off to a weird Stars, start. Sorry about that, everybody. The of John Favreau. All right. Anyway, anyway, there are other people in this movie. A uh, couple of quick topics I got for you movie-wise. First of all, because we've mentioned it, I read today that it is official. Movie Pass will be creating their own original films. I heard about that. And they'll be that. picking up films on the on the circuit, as well as they've bought or they've entered into an agreement to buy a movie production company, which owns the rights to things like Lone Survivor with Mark Wahlberg and a couple other films. So technically, those are now Movie Pass films. It's uh, kind of random for what their business model was initially set up as. I heard they're also going to open up a burger joint in North Korea. Oh, well, yeah. that makes sense. So, that, feels yeah, like, right. that feels like it's on brand. Yeah, <laughs> That makes a lot more sense. I got to say, I'm really digging their new app interface. Uh, that that looks pretty slick. I think that it's much more easy to use. I don't love the forcing me to take the picture of my ticket every time. Because then I get all nervous and I'm going to lose it. So like it becomes something I'm frantically doing as soon as I get my movie ticket. But then I'm like running late. So it's pissing me off that I'm taking another 30 seconds to do that. That's that's kind of annoying. But they're putting safeguards into this system to make sure people aren't abusing it. As I learned again this week, uh, my phone died. And so I had to get a new device. It was still under warranty. Apple gives me a new phone. I back it up to the last system backup that I had of it. But, of course, then it still forces you to re-log into every app that sure, you have on sure. for security. And as soon as I did so for MoviePass, it gave me... Two warnings and the opportunity to decline logging into a new device, which it recognized and told me that once you log into this device, you can't switch to another device for 30 days. So they're yeah. they're clearly trying to prevent, you know, me letting my wife just load the app onto her phone, log into it and use it to go sure. to a movie with my card. Um but another, it, I, I'm surprised that somewhere these developers came up with the technology to figure that piece of it out. It's an evolution. Clearly, yeah. they're making strides. That's yeah. great. And other movie news, I don't know if you followed what happened with the movie Show Dogs, which is a comedy for children about a dog who can speak. Uh, and I think one of the dogs is a, is a police officer that go undercover at dog show at a dog show. Oh. Uh, I believe the movie stars Will Arnett. And there was quite a bit of uproar by parents as there's a sequence in the film where the dogs who are about to go into the dog show are being groomed, including their genitalia is being touched and groomed by the dog groomer. And the dog is encouraged to just go to his happy place to sort of zone out while an adult touches his swimsuit area. Yeah, that's not not good. Very offended. There was a, a lot of uproar. A lot of social media sort of exploded over it. 
And the studio actually took the unique step of pulling the movie, cutting out the scene that people had problems with, and re-releasing the movie back in theaters oh. this, within a week. So if you go see Show Dogs this week, It'll as I'm different. sure you will, it will not have that scene uh, as they just took the step of saying, okay, we heard you. We had, that wasn't our intent. We didn't want to make anyone uncomfortable. We, we weren't trying to groom children that if an adult tells you to go to a happy place, you should let them touch your swimsuit area. But to avoid that, even the, the hint of conflict, we're just going to remove it and uh, relaunch the film. Clearly that wasn't their intent and... I wouldn't think, and and the fact that you know it, it has to do with the dog that needs to be groomed in that area, it's actually kind of funny. If it were an adult movie, I think that that would be really funny. But God, you think they'd see that coming, right? Like, like how many how many rounds of editing to go through without anybody going? You think we should leave this scene in there? Right, right. Um, so, and and, and it does it doesn't it make you wonder though why ABC couldn't have done that with Roseanne Barr? Like, just edit all of her scenes out of the television show and just. Instead of just canceling it all together. Like they just leave the episode but digitally remove Roseanne. <laughs> right. So, no, all of her all of her audio is gone. So there's just minutes of, of silence in the episode. Would, wouldn't, it have been great, wouldn't it have been great if they used that exact strategy, but to give a second chance to somebody who's already run afoul of cultural norms, like Gilbert Gottfried. Remember he made those horrible jokes after the tsunami and was sort of like a pariah and he was done. And and they just swap him out for Roseanne. Like now now he's married to Dan Connor on the show Roseanne and he's like his gay husband and he, <laughs> Gilbert Gottfried's they, voice and everything. Is, but they, they take Roseanne and they call it Griffin, starring Kathy Griffin. Like she's <laughs> right, she's right. the new mom. Yeah, right. she's earned her right back into our good graces after her <laughs> chopping off President Trump's head in that photo shoot. <laughs> well, we're here tonight to talk about Solo, a Star Wars story, which I have not checked. Uh, we don't fact check anyway, but you usually check these things. I'm assuming did well at the box office over the holiday weekend. Actually, it was largely a disappointment. Oh, interesting! And much has been made uh, in Hollywood and in the uh, the entertainment media about that misfire and whether there was just sort of Star Wars saturation, given that the film only opened five and a half months after the Last Jedi was in theaters, or because it's such an obvious prequel. Rogue One, you have to remember, was also a prequel. And unconnected to the Star Wars saga, but that was the first time they had done this. And I think there were a lot of people who still saw it thinking that they'd see Luke Skywalker and all the others in it. So clearly people knew this was a prequel and maybe just felt, I'm not just not that interested in a prequel of Han Solo. You know, it's the summer uh, release date as opposed to all the others have been in December. Sure. Who knows? But uh, it, it clearly misfired. Uh, pretty badly relative to expectations. I mean, it, it made over a hundred million dollars over the five day weekend here domestically. I think it made another sixty or seventy million globally. So hard to call it a disaster. But the movie cost two hundred fifty million plus to make and another couple hundred million to market. Sure. Okay. So it's a high bar. If you if you fold it up into the rest of the Star Wars films, Disney is doing just fine. The Star Wars films have. Continue to bring in revenue. They, they don't have to worry about it if they have one that doesn't quite clear the bar. But it's definitely got some people scratching their head as opposed to where do they go from here. Gotcha. Okay. 
But uh, maybe we should take a step back. And for those of you who have yet to rush out to your Cineplex to catch Solo, a Star Wars story, I'll get you a very tight plot recap and tell you that this movie is a prequel, a standalone story, and gives us the origin story of Han Solo. In fact, when we meet the character, we just know him as Han. He is living on really a disastrous junk planet, being raised in uh, sort of an Oliver Twistian, um, you could call it an orphanage, but it's really a street gang taking care of him. And and he has a girlfriend named Kira. They endeavor to to leave the planet and, and, and free themselves. They're separated and Han gets his name, Han Solo. And then we see him get his blaster and we see him become a smuggler. And we see him meet Chewbacca. And then we see him meet Lando <laughs> Calrissian. And then we see him get the Millennium Falcon. And then, oh, and he's got his dice, which was never a thing, but is now a thing. And that's Solo. <laughs> you, you sound enthralled. What did you think? I didn't really like it. I, I mean, it was a a C- minus to me if we, if we were going to go back to giving it a... A letter rating. I, I think that all of those things that you mentioned just sort of gave you, you know, Star Wars fanboy fatigue. We, we didn't need yeah. to see everything set up. And then, I, I mean, I've, I, you know, that I don't follow this universe terribly closely. Uh, I'm assuming that the guy he's going to meet at the end is, was it Jabba the Hutt that he's going to go do a job for? Because that eventually yeah. becomes a problem nine, nine episodes down the road. But ugh, it was, uh, it was it was kind of a long sit too. I mean, I mean, oh. they threw in the greatest hits of setting up this character, but yeah, I really didn't like it. How about you? I really liked some of it, and what I, I too. So I am a big fanboy of Star Wars, and I want to be clear: I'm a fanboy of Star Wars the movies. I think I tried to read one of the novels when I was like 12 years old. Uh, and really found out I'm really more into the movies. The movies and the 1977 made-for-television Christmas special. Absolutely. Right. That's okay. canon. Yeah. Um, but I never got into, like, the animated series, the Clone Wars, any of these types of sort of spinoffs. And there are a lot of Easter eggs and references in this film to those things. But what I will give credit for is I really like – I do like the Star Wars universe. And I think I am getting very tired of – the Skywalker saga. Frankly, I think with The Force Awakens, they really had an opportunity to just kind of start over or show us that this is a huge, giant galaxy worth of interesting characters that they could do anything with. And instead, we've really gotten back to it's all about Luke and Leia, and that's kind of all we have. So I was really excited for this these standalone films. I loved Rogue One. I thought it was a great movie, really interesting Characters, gritty, well-told. And I just wish this movie wasn't about Han Solo. Okay. I wish this was just a space adventure, uh, sort of a crime, you know, heist film set in, set in the Star Wars universe. I would have been super happy to sit and watch that because there has always been this tapestry of characters and planets and things going on. And there have to be other interesting stories that could be told there. Sure. Yeah. I really just don't know okay. why they feel the need to tell us more about the same eight characters yeah. in a galaxy full of billions or trillions of characters. You know, it's like, there's more stuff happening here. Okay. Yeah. There were parts of it that I thought had a cool 
sort of vibe. I mean, the the movie poster is really neat looking and obviously meant to evoke a 70s cinematic feel. And I think that some of the movie, just coming off the heels of French Connection that we reviewed last week, sort of felt kind of retro 70s, as I'm sure it was intended. I really thought that that, uh, that cargo monorail train that they are... Uh, trying to heist or, or hijack at a certain point, uh, really reminiscent of Snowpiercer. I thought that that scene yeah. was, and I thought it felt really, really neat. I liked that part of the movie, and there was, you know, an action scene here or there that was kind of fun. I appreciated the the introduction of the Millennium Falcon and the space scenes here way more than I liked the Last Jedi when they would just constantly come in and out of warp speed and stop inches away from one another, which I thought was really, (laughs) really weird and and stupid looking. So I I guess from that perspective, I enjoyed it. I like that it had, it had original music too. I mean, the theme, there was themes evoked throughout the film, obviously based on the John Williams score of the original, but this tended a little more towards the traditional action movie score. But I mean, how many more times are we going to listen to the Star Wars score in a Star Wars movie? So it was nice to have something different there too. I so there there were things I really did enjoy. I thought Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian might have been the most enjoyable part of the film for me. I thought his performance was great. It definitely evoked Billy D Williams, but he had his own take on it and I thought it was very fresh and fun and sure. every time he was on screen I was really interested. I thought the look of the film was really cool. It's got like a kind of a gritty look and and even like the lighting in the Falcon and this one's got like a cool blue hue to it. And the Falcon's brand new in this movie instead of sort of the beat up old hunk of junk we've, you know, all came to know and love uh, in the 70s and 80s. Uh, and I thought actually Woody Harrelson as Beckett and Paul Bettany as the the villainous mobster actually were pretty good. I would have watched more of them. Uh, more of each of them. They could have each had more screen time. So okay. I thought there was a lot to enjoy. But then there were just some things that that killed me. Clearly in my plot recap, you could get the sense that it was just too much. Too much fanboy, check the box. You know, we got we got Chewie, we got Lando, we got the Millennium Falcon, we got his blaster, we got the Kessel Run. It's like, we only know 10 things about Han Solo, and we got all 10 of them in this movie. Sure, yeah. Now, clearly they're also hoping to set up some sequels. You could have saved a little bit for the next go round. Yeah, right. 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 Also, some things that just really bothered me, and and we, I'm sure you know, and our listeners know, this movie had a lot of production problems. The original directors and writers, or original directors, were fired. Ron Howard came in late in the game and reshot a lot of the movie. Okay. So, sort of a, a troubled production. So maybe you chalk it up to that. But things like Han Solo's driving force in in the beginning of the film is getting back to his home planet to try and reconnect and save this character named Kira played by Emily Clark. And that's all he's thinking about. It's all he's thought about for three years. He does one job with Woody Harrelson's character Beckett, one, one heist. It goes horribly wrong. They're thrust, of course, because it went wrong to do a second job. And again, he's going to take it because the risk and reward is, is, is good for him because he wants to get back to Kira and the very next scene, he bumps into Kira. Now, this is just the laziest of lazy screenwriting. And I felt like you could have... All they needed to do was first um, do another time jump, right? The, the story jumped a couple of years earlier in the film. 
give us another jump of six months to a year and let us think that Beckett and Han and Shui, they pulled a couple of heists together. They've built some relationships. They kind of have a team and a, a mentor-mentee vibe going. And maybe he's even gone home a couple times to look for Kira and has been unsuccessful. Right? You just a couple of lines of dialogue, one or two scenes sets that up. So then when they go to Paul Bettany's the mobster's uh, yacht and he bumps into Kira, it feels like, wow, A, how lucky, and B, it's the end of a bit of a quest for him. Not like, oh, I, I told everyone yesterday I was looking for you and now here you are. Cool. I'm basically done. Right. And, it just felt really and, dumb. And I felt like their chemistry from that point on was just awful. Like, I I, I didn't believe the two of them at all. They, th- there's a scene with her new boyfriend, played by Paul Bettany. What's the character's name? I forget. Doesn't matter. Uh, where, you know, now Han is getting recruited to to help out with the dirty job. And so they're kind of sitting on opposite couches for one another. I can't imagine searching for a woman for three years and then being okay being in that situation five minutes later and not having a deeper discussion. But then, of course, a few days later, they're just randomly making out in the Millennium Falcon closet. And and so I, I just... All of their interaction from that point forward seemed awkward and weird and just difficult to swallow. I also think, to the point of lazy writing... There was an overabundance of tech-splaining in this, and I, I feel like just so many scenes where one of the characters would need to like almost turn to the camera, break the fourth wall, and explain what's happening and why it's important right. to those of us that are not fanboys of the Star Wars universe. Normally, you'd think I would appreciate that, but it is so heavy-handed. I just feel like there needed to be better writing to... To clue me into it, even though I don't know who these characters are and everybody else remembers them from other films, I'm smart enough to get it at some point, and at least on a level that I can still enjoy the movie. But they made it comically stupid, the way they would explain everything. They did, and they gave it to weird characters, right? Like, Emily Clark's Kira is... We never really understand what her role in this nefarious organization is. I kind of got the sense in the first half of the movie that maybe she was like a hooker... Or that she was some yeah. sort of pleasure provider initially. And then, then you get the sense, well, maybe she's Paul Bettany's character's girlfriend. But then he, she seems to know a lot about like the fuel that they're stealing and how it's refined and how unstable it is and what it would take to stabilize it. And it's like, that's a lot of scientific knowledge for an uneducated orphan runaway sure. hooker right. to have. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you that there was this you text-splaining or Basil exposition, but it was, like, in weird characters' hands. It also killed me again that this movie, after that three-year time jump, the entire movie takes place in a series of, like, two days. Three yeah. days. Yep. Well, why, do, why, the, why do they need to do that? Like, these characters, by the end, Han Solo and, and Beckett, played by Woody Harrelson, are having this sort of emotional scene on the beach and and it's sort of a you know uh, a reversal of fortunes and a, and a who who betrayed whom and and uh i have to do this without my partner and it's like you're not my partner i met you on tuesday it's thursday night <laughs> like we're not close you know but but it felt like they were trying to play that up where again if you had given them this sense that they've been working together for a year or two years and they've really bonded and there was some level of trust. That betrayal might feel real. 
instead of completely telegraphed and surface and just it's like, I mean, I hate to go back to last Jedi, but when Kylo Ren was good and then bad and then good and then bad, whatever the story right, needed to be, right. it's like, well, they're strangers in this movie, but two days later, they're best of friends and, and, and he's, he's taught him the ropes, but he hasn't taught him anything. They've done there, one mission. And it, I, it, I yeah. think, I think that in that quote unquote emotional scene, they're trying to evoke a conversation they, that they had had either the day before or two days prior on the Millennium Falcon when Beckett's trying to school Han in the ways of trust. And the dialogue was so lame. I almost had to leave the theater. It was so saccharine and silly. It was like it was like they took a master class in pulling cliches out of other movies and inserted ten of them into the same scene. And again, lazy writing. I, I just felt like th- th- this is really weird. I, I either he is a mentor to him in some fashion, or he's not. But you didn't evoke it in that scene for me in the slightest. Well, see, and I, not to disagree, but I feel like the scene you're talking about. There's a line they used in the trailer where Beckett says, "You know, assume that everybody will eventually betray you, and you'll never be disappointed." And I actually like that line. I, I agree that the rest of the writing in that sequence maybe isn't terrific, but I like that line. And I, I feel like that more than anything else informed for me what Han Solo became. Right? Sure. When we met okay. him in 1977, you kind of got that vibe of he wasn't letting anyone in. He's sort of – he. no man is an island except Han Solo and he's only an island because he also has Chewie. Yeah. Right? He's got Chewie in the Millennium Falcon. He's all good. But other than that, no one gets through his exterior – He's gruff. He's not trusting. And that's why at the end of that movie, when he comes back to to sort of join the fray and help Luke and take down the Death Star, it was such a great reversal because that was so not what we had learned about Han Solo. But but in this movie, it's so heavy handed that the moment Woody Harrelson says that, you're like, well, he's going to betray him tomorrow, clearly and obviously. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's just but but Han will have already learned that lesson so he like us will already expect it so it just was it just was so transparent um again I think there's a lot of fun in this movie and if it was about anyone other than Han Solo I think I really would have liked it but they just by trying to make it about Han and trying to add these easter eggs and build up all this again the 10 things we know about Han and cram it to it in 2 days it just felt like too much and uh, the bad guys also use, once again, a, a honing beacon to track the, yeah. the ship, right? I mean, that wasn't that the plot device in the last film, too? The way that we we can yeah. keep eyes on everybody? I mean, whoa. This one, even whoa. worse, because it's like, it's like a magnetic homing beacon on the bottom of the Falcon. And at one point, the Falcon is basically being sucked into a black hole. <laughs> And all and this gravity distortion, pieces of the ship are flying off, like this gigantic <laughs> cosmic monster gets sucked in there and its skin torn off. Yet this magnet has no problem it's... sticking to the bottom of the, the Falcon. So when they do the Kessel run and get to the planet, it's fine. The, the bad guys know right where they are because right. that, little, that little $2 magnet held it's... up. It's like the equivalent of that thing you stick underneath your tire that holds your spare right. key in case you get right. locked up. Your hide a key? Right. right. But imagine your car is now being sucked into a black hole. <laughs> I think the hide a key is going to be the first to go. Yeah. Can we take a quick moment here before we get to what's up with how did you feel about Han Solo himself? How did you feel about the new character taking over for Harrison Ford and trying to sort of breathe new life into this iconic role given I think Donald Glover 
did a great job at Lando. How do okay. you feel about Han Solo? Is, is, is this actor's name Alden Ehrenreich? Is that how you pronounce his name? We don't fact check. That's we don't fact check. Whatever. Okay. Uh, I thought he... I thought he was serviceable. I wasn't blown away by him. And I think that the chemistry between him and his former girlfriend was so bad that that kind of clouded all of my thoughts. The other thing I think about him is that he's not born to play a young Harrison Ford. He was born to play a young Dennis Quaid. I think that this guy looks exactly like Dennis Quaid must have looked at 25. I can see that. So, again, I think that the romantic chemistry for me was... So, so bland that... Well, he was so eager, right? I mean, again, when he had great chemistry with Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford did. But again, he was a roguish, closed door. He wasn't necessarily trying to win her heart. In fact, he was kind of a jerk to her, right? And and by by Empire Strikes Back, you can see him sort of thawing to her and she to him. and, and, And that chemistry really built... This is like he's like a puppy dog who's for been sure. who's been searching for Kira for all of ninety minutes, and then he bumps into her at a party. Plus, um, I, I have to imagine that a character, even a young Han Solo, uh, who has grown up in the sit- situation and circumstances that he has grown up under, wouldn't be as cute and funny and smirky all the time. Like I know we're trying to see the the gritty smartass Han Solo that that the world gets years later, but he seemed a little a little too too eager too quick with a joke. I mean, I, I feel like this would just be a guy barely struggling to survive. Well, and some of that could come back to the original directors, right? They were the directors of Twenty One Jump Street and even the Lego Movie. Ah, I, I okay. think their intention was to make this a little bit sillier. And I don't think that Kathleen Kennedy, who runs Lucasfilm, was up for that. And thus they're firing. Um, to me, the the, the issue I, – I thought he had great chemistry with Lando and great chemistry with Chewbacca. I think he, he really seemed very natural. That That pairing worked really well. My problem was I couldn't decide if he was sort of a lovable buffoon or if he was a great pilot or if he was really – to your point, like he's raised on the streets and sort of – a tough guy and he just we just didn't see enough of that again it felt like whatever the script needed if it needed him to be unsure and sort of the the boob he was the boob if it needed him to be the best fighter pilot in the universe he was the best fighter pilot in the universe and it was like we he never earned any of it it just he was what he was and I felt like that wasn't really fair okay that's a good assessment what's up with that but what's up with the fact that this movie does not open with the traditional Star Wars scrawl, uh, uh, crawl, right? The right. credit crawl. That's reserved for the uh, episodic Skywalker saga films. But it still needs basically a crawl, right? Rogue it, One, if you remember, <laughs> just starts. Right, you the, you see the title card, boom! This movie got started. This one was like a sloppy. We couldn't quite do it without a title card, but we didn't want to use the Star Wars crawl. It's true, yeah. That annoyed me from the get go. What's up with that? Uh, what's up with? D- did I see this right? Is there a scene with an outdoor fight where there's stormtroopers wearing winter coats? Did I did I catch that? Like, do they do they actually wear like? 
like old army battalion winter coats over their stormtrooper armor. Oh, I didn't see that. I swore that there was a, a scene where you get a brief, and I started laughing. You might be right. Okay. What's up with killing Thandie Newton? Mm. Right away. Why yeah. do that? I, I, she was, I, don't know. I liked her. She could be a fine addition to the crew. Yeah, she's a good actress. It's, it's a bummer we, we didn't get enough of her. So what's up with the relationship between Lando and that droid that he he is partnered with? I mean... L3, th- yeah. L3. L3 makes, you know, a comical allusion to Amelia Clark's character about, you know, them having a relationship that I just took as a, a, a gag. Like, clearly this droid is programmed to make funny comments like that. But when L3 gets, uh, gets blown up or whatever happens to droids when they die on the battlefield, he's moved. And I, I don't quite get what, what was behind that. That was interesting. Well, I do think there was an attempt, and there's been, again, a lot written in the, since the movie's been released about Lando being pansexual, that he's up for men, for women, and robots. Like, That's whatever. what pansexual means? He's just, he's just real open. Well. He's, he'll do anything. <laughs> Uh, and, and L3 also was an – I didn't love that character. Just again, it felt like a really now type of mentality of this – the robot looking for their civil rights and their innate freedoms and being a rabble rouser and like such a weird liberal character in this universe and a this fantasy. robot. Well, fantasy, and it's just about, I don't know, it just bothered me, like, this is a sequel, you know, a prequel set before the film from 1977, and yet you're you're trying to inject all these 2018 type of battles that people are fighting, it it just just bugged me. Uh, But what's up with um, the reversals at the end? Couldn't it have been any more obvious? How how the triple twist ending? Yes, the triple twist. Like, could it have been more obvious? I just was was really struggling (laughs) to to seem shocked in my seat. (laughs) What's up with how much that monorail transport line must have actually cost? I I once heard a figure that, that it costs multiple millions of dollars per foot for the Disney World monorail. And that's like elevating you... Half of you know, a hundred feet off the ground through through Florida for about a mile. This this transport's taking you through the mountains, and you are up there, and it's just for transporting cargo, not uh, theme park guests that paid 150 bucks to get in. So, what's up with that? Who built that on that planet? What's up with that being in a universe where they have spaceships and things that can easily fly that? You could load that cargo onto a little spaceship and just fly it up to the top of the mountain wherever you need it. Valid. Why use a train at all? Right, right, yeah. That seems really crazy. And what's up with, spoiler alert people, what's up with Darth Maul showing up? Yeah. So at the <laughs> right. end, the big, big bad, the secret bad set up for sequels is Darth Maul who died in The Phantom Menace. So I left being very confused thinking the timeline is so screwed up here that they must be implying that Han Solo is like 70 years old when Luke Skywalker meets him in A New Hope. Hmm. Luckily, I was able to check in with a couple of uh, folks I know who are much deeper into the Star Wars universe, and they very quickly schooled me on the fact that, oh, no, no, Darth Maul actually survived after The Phantom Menace 
on one of the animated shows and I think in some of the novels and has had a very rich criminal backstory afterwards. Who knew? So it's like that's like a weird twist to embed in here and you're really doing a lot of fan service to a corner of the the fan universe that is pretty niche or, or maybe or not I mean not niche I guess it's just I'm a more casual Star Wars viewer but that meant nothing to me other than it was very confusing felt like they got something really wrong and I left thinking what a dumb or choice, or or it, just a way to set up an exciting twist in the next one. You you yeah, another way to explain this. Yeah, but a dumb twist. I just was yeah. so confused until I talked to someone who knew the whole story. I was like, okay. oh, oh, okay. And then I guess I felt kind of dumb. And it's like, well, that didn't pay off well. Like, sure. For the two percent of people who will get that, it's going to be mind blowing. But for ninety eight percent of us, it's just either confusing or it will outright anger us. <laughs> Buddy, are you ready for five questions? Uh, probably not, because people are going to ask stuff about Star Wars universe, right? That's uh, I mean, it's just going to be an attempt to embarrass me. Oh. Whatever, let's go. Let's do this. Question let's number one: right. Is a new Star Wars movie every year too much? I, I guess the box office might indicate yes, it is. Though maybe one per year is okay. Maybe it's when you try to cram, when you try to try to popsicle stick one into the middle there that it becomes a problem. Question two. Ugh, did we really need to learn that the Empire's military registration system requires a last name? <laughs> In order to, to pay tribute to the seven things we know about Han Solo, yes. Couldn't complete that form, right? There's right. Like, it's like a required field, there's a little asterisk. <laughs> Question three. Would this movie have done better as a December release? Uh, maybe. I, I guess that's a possibility. Uh, the, the last have done quite well. Maybe we're yes. just suffering from Star Wars fatigue here. Maybe. Question four. The Star Wars universe is already a, quote, wretched hive of scum and villainy populated with disgusting characters whose faces only a mother could love. So why add Clint Howard? Is <laughs> Clint Howard in this movie? Yes, Ron Howard's brother makes an appearance in every single one of those films. I don't remember seeing him in there at all. He was like the referee during the robot fights when L3 was raising a big sting. (laughs) Oh, didn't even notice. And he was not in makeup. Question five. And again, please remember, we don't write these questions. These are listener submitted. Says, this movie reveals Chewbacca has eaten humans and that Lando is pansexual. If Solo 2 is greenlit. Oh, boy. Who do you think will enjoy Han's meat first? Oh, dear. I, let's just move on. Let's just wrap up five questions and say, buddy, final thoughts on Solo, A Star Wars Story. I, I could have done without it. I guess that's all there is to it. I think that, you know, it's, it, it's, it's what I sort of expect this time of year. I mean, maybe another reason that it didn't do well now and might have done better in December is that in December... We're still in the height of awards season and so right. many indie films coming out that an action film that caters to the family bringing their kids out at Christmas is going to do really, really well. And now it's competing with a bunch of other movies intended to do the exact same thing for summer blockbuster season. For me, it was a very average summer blockbuster at best. I enjoyed a lot of it. I think it's got a lot going for it. It was clearly made with care 
by talented uh, filmmakers, actors, producers, stunt people, but it just Fanny didn't Newton. gel. It <laughs> Thandie Newton, uh, the voice of John Favreau. It just didn't gel for me, and I think they just tried to cram too much in, too many little tips of the cap to right. what we know about Han Solo, and I just felt like by doing too much, it ended up being not enough. So I give it, yeah, like a C plus maybe. Okay. And if if they opt to do a solo sequel, it would take a lot for me to want to go check it out. Coming up next, we've got another Best Picture winner uh, due to a slight kink in the film release schedule this summer. So we're going to be uh, taking a step into How Green Was My Valley from the 40s. I don't remember what year. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Thanks for listening to the Spoiler Alert podcast. Please visit us online at movieoutsiders.com, where you can see what films we'll be discussing next, comment on our recent episodes, suggest movies to review or topics to discuss, or submit questions for the five questions segment of the podcast. Stop by and visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash movieoutsiders, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at movieoutsiders. If you're a fan of the show, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast subscription service you use. We'll be back again next week with another episode, but until then, enjoy the movies.